You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. Our advertising demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. We delivered over 30,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. To learn more, contact Rose Chamora at 951-515-515. Four six six one. That's nine five one five one five four six six one. All of our shows can be found on our website, Critical Mass for Business. All right, our second guest is Joan Gladstone. As I said before the break, she's president and CEO of Gladstone International. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. Let's start by asking you just to share a little bit about your professional background with our audience. Well, I've been in public relations my whole career. That was my major in college. And I've worked for many different companies, nonprofits, public sector before founding my firm about 25 years ago. Why did you start your own firm, Joan? Always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I thought, well, I've had a lot of experience. By that point, I had worked for others for about 15 years. And my dad was an entrepreneur, and he always encouraged me, and so the time was finally right. Okay, so let's talk about your firm, Gladstone International. What is it that you do? I teased a little bit about that before the break, but give us in your own words. And also, why do clients choose to work with you? What makes you different? We focus exclusively on crisis communications. What does that mean? Crisis planning, crisis counseling, and executive media training. We've had that focus for about 20 years now. So clients would choose us because it is a very, very specialized field. Yeah, and they know when they need it, huh? And, you know, the audience that listens generally are CEOs of middle market companies, and we define middle market as 5 to $100 million. And uh, in those, whenever there's a crisis that would happen with that type of business, having run a $70 million business, business, unfortunately, that had our fair share of crisis, nothing that made the media, but it, with our client population, good for right? good Right. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> the biggest crisis we had is that our parent company filed for bankruptcy, and then that, that really was, that was more of a crisis than I had anticipated, having never gone through a running a business when you're bankrupt. <laughs> it changes everything, right? We probably could have used some training on how to manage the message with our clients and our supply base, and it was really something very different. But anyway, they're probably wondering... How do I know in advance that that it's going to be a crisis? Or are you accustomed to being called in because it's happened and you've got to help them to sort of figure out the right path forward? Great question. When I started doing this kind of work, I would say the majority of calls that came in were something's happened, we've been hit by a lawsuit, we had negative publicity, what can you do to help us do damage control, which is after the fact? But the great trend that I see now is that so many CEOs are becoming aware Hmm. of the value of calling someone like me while they see the warning signs that something might go public. Product recall, an issue that's happening internally, an unhappy employee, an executive who left the company. 
So there are so many different issues that are happening that could go public. Why not be prepared? And that's a really great trend that I'm so happy to see. Yeah, that is that. that uh, you know, I, th- so that's led to a couple of the questions. Can I can I ask you them? Of course. Kind of, we're going off script here a little bit. Right I in the beginning it. of the interval, Jill. Even so, better. All right, great. Um, <laughs> has social media played any role in a sensitivity to CEOs of middle market companies to the fact that they may have a crisis on their hands just because of the ability for their employee population to communicate so easily with their customers and constituents? Yes. Matter of fact, last week I did a series of CEO workshops and that was the number one question on their minds because you have a different demographic, someone who founded a business, run the business very successfully, and then all of a sudden they're coping with social media. So that's been probably the most profound change in what I've seen from the standpoint that nothing is private. Right. The minute someone knows information, they have their own media. Right. It's no longer the newspapers, radio, television. It's what we call citizen journalists, people who have their own Facebook, Twitter, blogs. And so that's probably the most critical dynamic that we're having to manage with a crisis situation. Right. And and, um, and the major media and local media can pick up social media feeds as well. It's surprising to me how many people are watching Twitter feeds, etc., on companies where they know employees work there. One of the other areas, which I'd like to just ask you about, is um, the area of cyber fraud. And, you know, we, I, I've done a couple seminars here in Orange County for CEOs of middle market companies about how there really are targets of cyber fraud, and they don't, they, you know, the target makes the news. But they have still the same financial responsibilities, legal responsibilities for protecting that information. And that can be very damaging to a middle market company if you've got to notify all your clients that their information was compromised. And it can really damage your brand, can't it? Most definitely. And that's actually one of the areas that is on the forefront of many CEOs' minds now. When we look at doing crisis planning, we look at vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. We look at where they might experience risk. So the cyber hacking, data breach, cyber fraud, all those different terms are one of the most difficult because some of this is coming from other countries. Right. And so being able to have robust systems, but even so, you can't predict everything and you can't control everything. So making sure in the planning that there is a process for educating the public when you know something has occurred and not waiting, because that's really the issue. People want to know one thing. When did you know it? Right. And then they want to know, what are you doing about it? So if the when question is, well, we knew about it a month ago, that doesn't exactly create loyalty. Right. So We're suspicious by that, We're right? suspicious, <laughs> and the whole goal is to maintain a trusting relationship with all of our stakeholders, and we do that by being open mm-hmm. about this kind of information. So I'm speaking with Joan Gladstone. She is the president and CEO of Gladstone International. Uh, is it your experience and advice that CEOs of middle market companies should spend time planning crisis management communications and the process, even though they may think it'll never happen to me? But it's sort of like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, Joan. Is that is that? It is. It's kind of the analogy I use is a burglar alarm. When do most people install a burglar alarm on their Mm -hmm. home or their business 
after a burglary. Right. <laughs> they never want to go through that again. Right. So, again, the wonderful thing that I'm seeing is more and more CEOs are saying, we have all kinds of risk prevention programs. We have insurance companies. We have all of these emergency response programs. What's missing is this crisis communications component. So I either create that for them or more often they create it and I can do kind of a vulnerabilities assessment to say you're in great shape. All you have to do is add the social media component or you've got a lot of issues. You don't know who's on your team. You don't know who's on first. You don't know who's going to manage the crisis. And that is really a great trend that I'm seeing now in business. Is it your professional experience that if there is an issue that requires a crisis management team and communication to the marketplace, that the leader, the CEO, president, owner, whatever, managing director, whatever the title of the boss is, that that should be the person that's the face of the company in presenting the the crisis communication message to the marketplace? Not always. This is one of the big debates going on right now. The conventional wisdom has been the bigger the crisis and the broader the impact on consumers, the more the CEO should step out in front. But not all CEOs are the right choice. I think of the BP oil spill. Oh, I was just thinking of Tony whatever, yeah. Tony Hayward. Okay, thank you. And, you know, (laughs) his bloopers are legend now. And one of the most famous that was repeated over and over again was, I'd like my life back. Exactly. That's what I feel. Wow. You're like psychic. Well, I use that one a lot. And so the thought is that it's not about those affected. It's about him and his life. Right. I would have loved to have seen an engineer, a very, very highly placed engineer at BP, talking about how they were were going to fix the broken pipe on the bed of the sea. Right. So, yes, if the CEO is the right personality and can gain trust, is a good spokesperson, doesn't get flustered Mm -hmm. by a lot of media, that might be the right solution. But there are other times where there might be a lawsuit. I dealt with a hoax, a product hoax. Hmm. You might not want to put the CEO out in front to dignify something that was a hoax or other issue by a disgruntled member of the public. Right, because once the impression has been formed in the public's mind, it's really hard to undo that, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it takes on a life of its own. And then, like we talked earlier, social media just buries you, right? Then YouTube puts up characters of you, and it just it just becomes a running joke. And hopefully none of the listening audience are ever going to have an issue that would make a sketch on Saturday Night Live. But, right, it could just become, it it defines your career. Well, this hoax actually was a joke on Conan O'Brien that I mentioned. (laughs) Luckily, they didn't mention the name of the restaurant that was involved. But you raise a really good point, Rick, about social media. It's not something we should be afraid of, like it's going to be done to us. Savvy companies are harnessing the power of social Mm. media. Just today... I read that the president of GM did a YouTube apology for the issues that they've been having. So YouTube videos and other methods of communicating through social media are really now on the forefront. So we shouldn't be afraid of harnessing that power. Wow. So she's a new CEO, and it didn't happen on my watch, and but yet she owns it, and her response to it is going to maybe define her career for a bit, right? I mean... 
and how she leads this GM to respond to it. This feels very bad for GM and you know people are gonna. I mean, there's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork as GM, such a large corporation. But uh, it'll be interesting to see her leadership style and how they manage through it. She's getting off to a good start. Okay, great. I'm talking with Joan Gladstone, and we're going to take our. Oh, sorry, she's president and CEO of Gladstone International. I've said that before, but I can never say that too often. And we're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Joan, when we come back, I'm going to ask you of all the things you've experienced and learned in business, if you have a guiding principle for how you're leading and growing your firm. Okay. All right, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you in three minutes. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 11,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live here on radio station octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, let's return to the interview with Joan Gladstone. She is president and CEO and founder, a lot of titles, of Gladstone International. Um, Before the break, I was going to ask you to share your guiding principle. Joan, would you do that now, please? I'd be happy to. I think, for me, the most important principle is integrity. 
And for me, when I work with organizations who are dealing with brewing crises or crises that have already hit, it's are they going to be receptive to my counseling and will they be willing to work with ethics and integrity? Because mm-hmm. that is everything in business. It's everything in life. And if you don't go along in that direction, you're not going to be in business very long. So that's my philosophy. That's excellent. Thank you very much for sharing that. You know, I, if, if we haven't in this country haven't learned who've been around long enough to remember Watergate, uh, I do, it's not the act. It's the cover-up. If that didn't make, I mean, now it is, uh, and I'm, we don't do politics here, but I mean, people will look at the situation and judge it based on the facts. It, but afterwards, if you if you don't, if you're not with integrity and you're really out, if you're trying to run a game or shelter them from the truth, uh, the truth is going to find its way to get out. People have a remarkable capacity to forgive mm-hmm. if they sense that the apology is sincere. But if they feel as if you've been duplicitous and you've covered up or tried to hide the mistake, especially if the impact is on public health and safety, then the tolerance is gone Mm. and the consumers are probably gone too. It's amazing how many public figures, uh, either through social media or just their own foolish behavior, everybody has a camera now who has a phone. I mean, you know, whatever. I don't know how these guys and ladies think they can behave in a way that's different than their managed brand. But it, it 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 it's just I don't know I I saw a thing on the guy from Toronto again this weekend Rob I, Ford I just feel so I don't know part part of me just feels so bad for the poor don't guy don't feel sorry for him <laughs> he, he looks like a really good guy in some ways it'd be probably fun to go out and have a drink with on a Saturday night but that's neither here nor there I'm talking with Joan Gladstone president and CEO of Gladstone International uh, you know we talked a little bit off air about the 1994 bankruptcy of orange county that was your first crisis management situation can you tell us how you handled that situation that was my first and probably the biggest i've had in 20 years so what the problem was with that was the county was investing in risky investments junk bonds and things of that nature so the market tanked we got involved about a week prior to the county filing for bankruptcy And, Rick, I had never handled anything of this magnitude in my life. So we became the one phone call that the media could make. The county was not taking any calls from the media because they were trying to manage the crisis and get funding. At that time, it was, believe me, this is going to sound crazy, a $1.7 billion paper loss. They had not yet filed for bankruptcy, but that was the size and magnitude of the loss in the county's investment fund. So they were dealing with the crisis, and we, my office, was handling all of the incoming calls, and these were calls from media outlets all over the world. So never having done anything like this, I sort of had to invent a process on the fly. And it was kind of a triage. At that time, I had 12 employees. Everyone had a role. Some staff took calls. Some staff provided the answers. I was dealing with the county. What do we say? It was crazy. But I'm also very proud of the work that we did because we were able to provide information to the media. And also, what some people don't remember, there were about 200 cities and public agencies that had invested in the county's fund. They were starving for information. They had no information. So we became almost a news bureau 
where any agency could call me and I would give them whatever information I could. I even ended up doing a daily news brief sheet Mm. that I would send out so that people could be kept informed. When the county filed for bankruptcy, they hired a bankruptcy attorney and a firm that specialized in bankruptcy public relations. After that, everything in my firm was totally different. We went from doing traditional PR to doing only crisis and issues management. Can, can you share with us how you were successful in in representing Orange County during that bankruptcy? I mean, what happened that you got the call? I had worked for the county some years before, okay. so they knew who I was. I don't know if they called anyone else, but they did call me, and it was kind of funny, Rick, I was telling you at the break, that I'm in my office one day, and my assistant says, uh, there is a Mr. Robert Citron on the phone for you. And the first thought I had was, why is he calling me? I know I paid my property tax. <laughs> Boy, that's a high-level call just for your property tax, even if you have it. Huh? You guys are serious about our money. <laughs> but, you know, the one thing I will say in the aftermath of the bankruptcy, I never want to work on a situation ever like that again where it's happened and there's nothing mm-hmm. productive that I can do or anyone who does crisis management can do to change the outcome. Now, when I work with CEOs who call before the crisis hits, many times we can have a positive impact, and sometimes we do plans and strategies that never see the light of day because they never went public, and that is great success. I can't imagine you're thinking, I'm putting myself in my audience's shoes, that a CEO would be able to be as open-minded and thoughtful about the scenarios and how they would respond when they're in the heat of the battle as opposed to scenario planning in advance even if it's as long as it hasn't touched your customers and the public yet you probably are a little more clear-headed i have to believe it gets a you know it takes on a life of its own like you said when the phone calls are coming in and now it's emails and all this other way that people are starving for information it it must feel very hard to be able to craft the best strategy at in that moment well to be fair most ceos would have a team and that's one of the first things we do in our planning who is on your crisis team so that the burden doesn't fall only on the CEO's shoulders. But the one point that just came to mind as you were talking, what CEOs oftentimes don't realize is that they may be the spokesperson, not only to the media, but to their shareholders, to their boards of directors, to their employees, to the community. And so their role as communicators, that might consume... 110% of their time. So being able to do the operational side of it would normally fall to others. Right. You know, uh, that's so true because I I can remember uh, lawsuits. It's the same thing when a company gets sued. Many times the CEO gets lost to getting briefed on what's going on, and and all of a sudden you're not able to do your normal day job, and, and it really is an alternate universe. You know, I said many of the companies that are listening maybe would never make the media, but then I think the issues that have happened in West Virginia with the water and the potential for pollution, those companies, as far as I can tell, are not, I mean, they're middle market companies for the large part, and they're now in the middle of what seems to be a national media frenzy about what did, what happened and what didn't happen, That's that's got to be very taxing and stressful for them as well. Anytime an organization has one customer, one employee, one stakeholder, the chances are very high they're risking damage mm-hmm. from negative publicity. Wow. 
Yes, and um, at the end of the day, it's your brand. You can work so hard to build your brand, and then one moment, as we said earlier, can really it be hard. It's hard to recover from those if you don't. An ounce of prevention, ladies and gentlemen, is worth a pound of cure. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of uh, of crisis in that way. I'm wondering, are there other types of is there another definition for crisis management that isn't that you work on, Joan? That isn't necessarily in the vein of what we've covered already, whether it's a an issue with a spill or a county bankruptcy or cyber fraud or or the social media issues. But is there anything else that our CEO should be? We've been having pretty thoughtful conversations so far, but have I missed asking you about anything else that you've worked with any of your clients on that should allow at least the CEOs that are listening to think about areas of risk? I think when I do a lot of work with risk managers and attorneys, so sometimes I think I am one. So I'm I sorry think to what, hear that. <laughs> <laughs> they're some of my best friends okay, I'm and just clients. Kidding. I love them all. Too. Uh, so I think what what any organization should do when they're thinking about this, if they say, you know, are we really prepared? They ought to sit down with their management team and use a whiteboard or a flip chart or whatever and start lining out all the possible crises that could happen to them or that they might prompt. And they will be shocked. I go through this exercise with every CEO group that Mm -hmm. I talk to, and they come up with one or two or three things. But the list, I even have one in front of me, is very, very long. I can see it. And it's unique to each organization, depending upon what they do, product or service. So I think it's a great exercise for the audience to try. You know, what? I guess what I was leading to as well is um, we did not have a uh, communications plan in case of an emergency. Uh, I was the president of Delphi, and during that time there were some pretty significant fires in Southern California to the point where companies were being affected as far as workforce and and how how do you get people home and all that. And then we started thinking, well, what happens if a big earthquake ever happened? Do we have a proper communication strategy for our employees and for our clients? I mean, is that work that you, your firm does or? It's very interesting. In all the 20 years I've been doing this, I have not worked on one natural disaster. And maybe that's fortunate that there haven't been that many. But most big organizations have an emergency response plan that's from the operational point of view. And it means a lot of collaboration with emergency responders, police and fire and other agencies. So the, the area of vulnerability isn't so much how would we respond in a natural disaster, because the public understands you didn't cause the disaster. You'll be judged by how well you managed the aftermath and protected your people. So the area that I work in and where I think there's more of that gray area okay. is when it's a crisis that's caused by some in, inadvertent action by you or some action by somebody outside the organization. Because mm-hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, regardless of what the crisis is, the, the p- improper response from a CEO is... I had no idea. I wasn't aware this was even a risk. It never occurred to me. Because I think, I'm speaking my own opinion here, but I think the public expects the boss to take the responsibility for the organization, right? Yes, but you know, you raised something interesting, Rick, that one of the hardest things for an executive to say is, I didn't know, and I'm looking into it. Uh Uh-huh. Or we're sorry for the experience and we're going to get to the bottom of it because every time I open the paper or listen to the radio or watch TV, there's some crisis I never would have dreamed of in a million years. 
And so we can't always anticipate every single thing that's going to happen to us. It's really more the attitude. And I will sum it up in one word, and that's empathy. If a CEO and their management team can demonstrate that they truly care about the impacts on people, they'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What a great thought that we can wrap up the show with then, Joan. Uh, Joan, I want to ask you, if someone wants to learn more about you or your firm, Gladstone International, how do they find you online? Thank you. It's easy. The website is gladstonepr.com. I have a blog on the site that people can subscribe to for crisis evaluations and tips. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to subscribe to that blog. Uh, RSS <laughs> feeds you. are wonderful, aren't they? they it's, it's wonderful. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say, first of all, thank you for being a friend of the program, Joan. Welcome to our critical mass community. I've thoroughly enjoyed your time with us today. Thank you. It's been fun being here. Great. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed both of the interviews that we had here today on the radio program. You know, the goal for this show is to help you, our audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. And certainly in this area of crisis management and crisis preparedness, I think you have some things to think about and hopefully talk to your team about just to verify that what you have in place is robust enough to support your ever-growing firms, ladies and gentlemen. The show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club of Costa Mesa. Our engineer for today's show is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Our social media manager is Asia Celestino. Our live events coordinator is Melissa Padani. Our VP of sales is Rose Chamora. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business or you want to refer a future guest or advertise, please visit our website, Critical Mass for Business. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.